All right, let's bow in prayer as we're going to look at the scriptures. Lord, we just thank you as we have worshipped you in song. Now we transition to worship you with the word. We ask that you guide and lead as we look at these verses in your son's precious name. Amen. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to depart from Genesis for this day because it is Christmas Day. (laughs) So, starting at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, you son of David, fear not to take unto you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord, by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bid him, and took her as his wife. And he knew her not till she had brought forth their firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. We're looking at the birth of Jesus. Obviously, it's Christmas. <laughs> it's a celebration of Jesus' birth. And I hope everybody has taken time this morning to be cognizant of the fact that this is the celebration of his birth. And as we said last night, whether it is the actual celebration of his birth or not doesn't really matter. We are celebrating his birth. And there's lots of evidence, and we're not going to go into the, the arguments on that. I've had lots of people go, it's, you know, we shouldn't worship on, on Christmas because it's a celebration uh, for the solstice and all of that. And it was the day they picked to celebrate. And it was a practical decision when they picked it. There was already a celebration on it, so they added a Christian celebration to, to the celebration that was already going on. And from a governmental perspective, it was a way to keep uh, another holiday off the books. <laughs> Uh, keep keep production going and not have another festival. So it worked out and it was a practical decision. But it really doesn't matter that we that it, whether it is or isn't his birthday. Because we as Christians are celebrating the fact that he was born. Now the world is forgetting this. You know, this is this is getting to be the hard time for me as now, many of you look at me, I've seen me and, you know, I tell you, I'm pretty much a Scrooge when it comes to Christmas time because of all the commercialism and, and everything that's involved in it. I, I do like the celebration of Jesus' birth, but so much gets in the way of the celebration of his birth that I have a hard time sometimes with Christmas. Uh, and, but I like to bring it back to Christ all the time. But we look at this virgin birth. A lot of people have a lot of problems with much in the Bible. Most people have a big problem with the resurrection of Jesus. And we've, around, around the Resurrection Sunday, we talk about the resurrection and the proofs for his resurrection. Because it's a very solid fact. A lot of people have problem with creation. Especially in our day and age. They want to believe in evolution, which has no scientific basis in it. And they reject creation, which has fits in in line with with uh, science and they have problems with the two things that are don't take a lot of faith to do because you can look at the evidence and say okay I can understand these but you know not too many people have problems with the virgin birth 
You know, they deny it maybe, but they don't seem to, this isn't the one that gets the big question mark when people talk about the problems that they have with the Bible. The one thing that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever <laughs> is the one that they don't have the biggest problems with. You know, can you imagine virgin birth? Doesn't make any sense. We just read Joseph had a big problem with it <laughs> until he had the vision from the angel. And he rightfully would have had a problem with it. Mary, Mary's pregnant, the person he's espoused to. The question in his mind, just as any other person's mind was, okay, who has she been fooling around with behind my back? Mary's still living with her family. Can you imagine the conversation with mom and dad? Uh, mom and dad, uh, I'm pregnant and it's God's child. Uh-huh, sure, Mary. And all of you, one of us who've been a parent, that would have been our answer to her. Uh, sure. What night did you slip out and, uh, you know, and go, go, go do things you weren't supposed to do? This is something that is a complete miracle that we know cannot happen. Now, in our scientific age, technically, we could make it happen with fertilizing of the eggs and injections. But in the natural place, it cannot happen in the natural world. And it did happen for Jesus' birth. And it was very important that it happened for him. Because we know from the judgment on Adam and Eve that sin is passed from the male into the young child. He needed to be human. And he, didn't, he had to not have the sin nature passed into him. That way he could be 100% perfect human, 100% God. And we talked about, again, you know, every time I talk about this, the incarnation. Jesus, God became man. And he did not put away his Godhead. He did not put away his Godhood when he became man. He was 100% God. And we talk about this. When we, when we think about all the fabled mythological com, com, coming together of God and man, you end up with what they define as a demigod. Half man, half God. You know, we think of people like Hercules, uh, many of the other demigods where the gods came down, fooled around with women and had children, and they were half God, half, half human. This is not what Jesus was. His mathematics was totally different. <laughs> they, they, he did multiplication <laughs> and not addition. One, one times one is still one. <laughs> and he became fully human. This is something that was important. He had to be human in order to make the sacrifice for our sins. Because God is totally righteous. He is totally holy. A lot of times in our day and age, we forget that God is righteous and holy. Because we live under the grace. Jesus died and we think mostly of the gracious God. But you know, God still judges sin. Greatest example in the scriptures is when Ananias and Sapphira came in and lied to the church saying... You know, we gave, we sold this property and we're giving all our money. Now the sin wasn't that they kept back part of the, part of the money. It was their house. They, they, it was their property. They had the right to give as much or as little as they wanted. The sin was that they wanted the church to believe that they had given everything. And that is when they said, why are you lying to the Holy Spirit? And, and Ananias fell dead. And while the men are burying 
Ananias, his wife, comes in and says the same thing, and she gets struck dead. God is still a God of justice. There's people that I have met that I am pretty sure have been judged by God because of the severity of the sins that they're committing. And I've watched them suffer because of it. God is still a God of justice. He has not changed. It says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. All right? And we, as we're going through the Old Testament, we see the gracious, merciful God all through the Old Testament. You know, we were talking about Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know, God protected him. Adam and Eve found grace in the eyes of the Lord too, even though it doesn't say that, because they were, even though they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, what did they deserve? Immediate death. They deserved to be killed for their sin. Immediately. And God showed them mercy and grace and let them live the rest of their life. So we look at this and we see God's graciousness and his mercy all through the Old Testament. We see his judgment all through the New Testament. And as we look around, we see grace and mercy in our own life. And we see judgment in our own life. God disciplines us when we do wrong. Why? Because we're his children. He wants us to do the right things. And discipline, his purpose is to get people to associate pain with disobedience. That's why we discipline children. Because we want them to understand, you don't run into the street, you're going to get hit by a car, and if you won't, if you won't stop running in the street, I'm going to make your backside hurt, so that you'll quit running into the street, so that you don't have more hurt for running in the street. We discipline them for other things because we want them to understand pain is associated with disobedience. And the pain is to, with the disobedience is to keep them from having a worse pain later on. God does that with us. He wants us to stop at some smaller point <laughs> with pain rather than going on and doing totally wrong. Many times I've had to talk with people and they go, well, how do I fix this problem? And they violated so much of God's rules to get to where they're at. And it's like, well, we've got to start from this point on following God's rules, number one. Then we can try to figure out how to go back. How many families have been destroyed because of divorce? And then multiple divorces in many cases. And then they come back, well, how do I get my kids back? Well, that's going to be a really tough thing. You're going to have to show as much godliness as you possibly can to them and pray for them. Because you've already violated so much of God's rules up to this point. He gives us rules not because he's trying to make us not have fun. Many times, even as adults, we have the same mantra of the teenagers. You just don't want me to have fun. <laughs> How many of you ever had your kids tell you that? You're just trying to ruin all my fun. Everybody else is doing it. <laughs> but you know unfortunately many times we as adults do the same thing to God from our adult God I just don't understand why you don't want me to you know fill in the fill in the sin the sinful activity drink do drugs uh, have sex outside of marriage have adultery you know whatever it might be that you're wanting to do with wanting to do at that moment you're God you're just trying to keep me from having some fun and God's saying no I know the consequences that you will face how many times in your life have you struggled with a sin and you, you thought about the consequences and decided, well, I think I can afford to pay those consequences? Uh, I know I'm not the only person that's ever done that. You know, and then you think, 
what those consequences really turned out to be are always more than you ever calculated them to be. And you go, well, it really wasn't. <laughs> I didn't think this would happen if I did this. I didn't calculate this particular re result. And God is saying, and then you hear God saying, I, I told you. <laughs> Just be obedient. God is trying to keep us from getting into worse situations. Always. You know, even as adults, we teach our kids just, you know, to tell the truth and you won't get in as much trouble. But how many times as adults do we kind of do the same thing? You know, uh, well, if I admit that I did this wrong in work, I might get fired. So all of a sudden you start trying to hide it. And if you haven't done that yourself, you know people have done it. <laughs> and eventually it comes out. And things are always worse because you tried to hide it and now you're in trouble. Our politicians do it all the time. They usually get in trouble not for so much for what they did, but for trying to hide what they do, and because we know about it because they're so public. But it's true of all people. When we try to hide our wrong sins, God reveals them. He does this over and over again. He says that he is going to make sure our sins are found out. So we have a choice when we sin. We can confess to God and get it out in the open, or we can try to hide it from everybody, and eventually it comes out. Sometimes we see it in evangelists who have fallen from, from great positions because they got into usually adulterous affairs and they tried to hide it. And then it comes out, they get embarrassed, they usually lose their church, so you, people who were following them, lifting them too high, fall from, fall from Christianity because they thought these guys were perfect. And don't ever think that any of these people that you're listening to, myself included, because I'm definitely not perfect, and many of you know that real clearly, <laughs> But don't ever look at these people on TV or on the radio as if they're something really special. The only thing they have special going for them is they're letting God use them to preach and teach. But they are just as infallible as anybody else. Every one of us has problems with sin. And if you ever come across somebody who's trying to make you think they don't have problems with sin, they're lying. <laughs> right off the bat, they're lying. Unless it's Jesus standing in front of you, they're lying. They have problems with sin. And I don't ever want somebody to say, you know, look at this person. They're so good. Because if you're putting that person up that high and they fall, you're going to get very discouraged. The only one you can have on that high pedestal is Jesus himself. He says, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me because he is perfect. He is the serpent on the bronze pole that was lifted up. People looked at him in the, in the wilderness and they were healed of their of their serpent bites serpents representing satan and the bites representing the, the death of sin looking to jesus for healing of spirit this is what jesus came and he told joseph this is my child this is my child and i love what he says he goes in verse 21 you shall bring forth a son and you shall call his name jesus and he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus literally means Yahweh saves or God saves. That's what his name means. Because in Hebrew, it's basically, we would say it was Joshua. It's Yeshua. Translated Joshua. God saves. He had a name right from the beginning for his purpose on this world to come and save 
from our sins. We, we bring this out, and I brought it out last night as well. Jesus did not begin existence that night in Bethlehem. He has always existed from before time, and he will exist after time. But for 34 years, he was incarnate. And that simply means in the flesh. He made himself a man. And I don't know if that amazes you as, as much as it does me that he became a man. And not only did he become a man, because he could have just shown up as a full-grown full, full man with all the power, strength, and knowledge of God. That was fully within his power. He created the whole world. He created Adam and Eve as adults. He came as a baby. The most helpless form of humanity that he could become. He came as a human baby that needed to be fed, clothed, diapers changed, <laughs> you know, fed when he cried, fed, uh, uh, changed when he cried, all these things. He came as the most helpless individual that he could have possibly become just so he could go through the whole experience. He had to learn. He had to learn to read and write. He had to learn to talk. He had to learn to walk. The creator of the universe <laughs> had to learn to crawl. Yeah. It is just an amazing thought to me when I think about that. Especially when he had the power just to say, okay, here I am. I'm in flesh. I'm just like you. Had to go, didn't have to learn anything, but I'm here I am. He wanted to go through everything that we go through. The temptations that we have. All that, all that we go through, he, wa he was going to experience. So that he could live that perfect life. And die on the cross. And he knew that his purpose of coming was to die on the cross. And that purpose was decided even before he created man. We've talked about this many times. When he created man, he knew that man was going to fall. And he knew that he was going to have to die to buy a man back. And I've said over and over again, I don't know why he did it. <laughs> it's not something I would probably do, but I'm not God and I don't know everything. He, got so, he saw something out of all of this and he decided we were worth it. I know that I'm not worth it, but, you know, but he decided that humanity was worth redeeming. He came as this child to redeem mankind. And people will say, well, he's God. Couldn't he just forgive? Well, he's also perfect righteousness and perfect holiness. The sin had to be paid. He couldn't just say, oh, forget it. Because if he did, he'd be acting outside of his character. We've got to remember God's character. He is righteous. He is holy. He is just. He's also gracious and loving as well, which puts him in an interesting place. He wanted mankind to be forgiven, so he had to pay the price. Because no man was ever going to be good enough to, to fulfill that price. It needed somebody that would live as God. He paid the price. And in the old song that, we, that I sang in another church, he paid a price he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed something to take my sins away. He paid a debt. 
a debt that we can't even fathom. As we walk longer with God, we begin to start fathoming, fathoming sin. In the song, I can only imagine the debt that he paid. We don't have a clue what it is. When we get to heaven and we see the awfulness of sin as, it's, as he shows us what's covered, and we walk away thanking him for what he's done for us in a way that we've not thanked him for. Because one thing I can tell you, no matter how bad you think sin is, you're not seeing it the way God sees it. Because if you really saw it the way God saw it, you would never sin. I'm the same way. I don't see it. The more I walk with God, the more I see the sin and the more I don't want to do certain sins and then God shows me other sins that are just as bad. And I have to say, oh, that one's bad too. I never even thought about that one, God. And now you're showing me that that's a sin. This is the walk with God. As we become more like him, we start to see things the way he sees them. I've already shared with you, for years and decades, I have never liked jokes about marriage because I think it's too sacred an area to joke about. That is something that he's really pushed onto me, the importance of marriage. There's certain other places where I just don't see humor in. I mean, I understand why the world thinks they're, they're funny. Don't get me wrong. I understand why the world thinks they're funny. I just don't think they're funny from a God's perspective. I know why people laugh and all that. It's just, you know, and I've watched people who go to go, you know, are really serious. They're not going to, they're not going to smile, you know, they're not even going to smile and you, you know, watch them twitching. You know, I don't have that problem with those jokes. I just don't think they're funny. But there's other areas of my life that aren't that, <laughs> aren't that good yet. But every year God increases my hatred for sin and the capacity to want to stay away from it. And it also increases the love for those that are caught in those sins. We want to be very careful as Christians. As we, dis, as we get to where we hate the sin, we've got to be very careful to separate the person from that sin. Because as was said in the Truth Project by Del Tackett, we are prisoners of the sin that we're, we're committing. No matter what that sin is, we are a prisoner and in bondage to that sin. It takes Jesus Christ's righteousness and his life in us to get over it and get out of it. Many of us have some sin that besets us and we know that when that comes around we're, we have trouble with it. We may even hate it. It could be as simple as anger. How many people get easily angered? And once you get angry, say or do things that you know you shouldn't be doing and saying. Is it possible to be angry and don't sin? Yes, it is possible. Jesus did. He went into the, into the temple and drove out the money changers with the, with the whip and saying, you've made my father's house a, a den of thieves. I don't think that he was in there very whispering, you've made my father's house a den of thieves and I'm, and I'm just holding this whip. I think he was cracking the whip, yelling at them to get out of the Father's house. It is possible to be angry and not sin. It's not easy. <laughs> Usually the only thing that I believe that you can get angry with without sinning is when you're defending somebody else. As Jesus' case, defending the Father's house. That way your personal emotions for yourself are taken out of it. I do not believe that you can be angry about something that, is, that has affected you and not sin. Because why are you angry? 
your pride has been hurt. <laughs> pride is not something to be angry over. But we know we find ourselves getting caught up in these sins. We find ourselves, some people have problems with gossip. You know, I just got to tell you what I know about these people. Lots of people have problem with that. Gossip is listed in Proverbs as one of the seven things God hates. Why does he hate those things so much? They attack the soul. They attack the soul of people. And he really hates anything that attacks a soul at the soul level. We want to be careful. He is God. He came on this world to be made flesh so that he could save. His whole purpose was to come and live a perfect life and be our sacrifice and bring us into his family. His sacrifice allows God to then turn around and say, his sacrifice allows you to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ so that we can be enter heaven, be in fellowship with God. Because when God looks at us, he doesn't see us. He sees Jesus Christ. The picture of the bride with the husband being made one. It is a picture that Satan is desperately trying to destroy because it is the picture of the union between Jesus Christ and his bride, the church, Christians. We become one. We take on his righteousness and we take on him from the father's point of view. He sees only Jesus. And he says, come on in. You're welcome. This is my kingdom and you are my child. He gives us an adoption. He makes us that perfect individual that he goes, here's everything you get. Can you imagine heaven? I can't imagine. I tell people I have no imagination. I, I read those things that have lots of pictures and stuff, and I just, most of it doesn't make a sense. And I know there's people that are very artistic, and they read those descriptions of heaven and go, wow, I just can't wait to get there. The only thing I know about heaven is it's better than where I'm at. <laughs> All right? The colors are, colors are brighter and more effective. The food's going to taste better. The smell's going to be better. I'll actually be back to be able to hear again <laughs> correctly. Uh, I just know it's going to be better than anything that we have here. And to not be tempted by sin will be a wonderful event. To not have to deal with the temptation of sin. And then to know we're there only because it's a gift. Nothing we do will ever earn heaven. That is why Jesus came in as an incarnate being to die for our sins so that we could get to heaven, which we would never be able to achieve. And we have to understand just that one fact. Nothing I do, nothing anybody else does ever deserves heaven because we just can't be good enough because his standard is perfection. And how much, how much ink do I have to put on a piece of paper to make it imperfect? Uh, well, first off, you'd have to find a piece of paper that was perfect, because most paper is not perfect. You'd have to find the most perfect piece of paper that you have, and then how much of a dot do you need on it from a pencil or a pen to make it imperfect? God's standard is perfection. Even if somehow you managed to live in such a way that you only had one dot on your soul, it'd be imperfect. And I can tell you, I know for myself, and I know for everybody that I know personally, 
I don't know of anybody that has just one dot of imperfection on their soul. Most of us have at least one dot a day, if not more. And sometimes they're not even dots. Sometimes they're a great big dump the whole inkwell on the, on the paper. So we need to be patient with people that we're dealing with. So many people, when, they, when they're talking about witnessing, they go, well, if they get their life in, a, in order and they want to become a Christian, I'll go talk to them. I am so glad God did not do that with me. He came to me while I was a sinner, living in sin, doing sin, not knowing him, being his enemy. We as Christians need to get to that point where we're going to share the gospel with everybody. Share the gospel with people because they need to hear the word. It's amazing when you read different testimonies of how certain people have come to the Lord. And it's, you know, it's usually some form of trust in somebody that doesn't deserve the trust. You know, giving, them the, giving them the gospel when they really don't deserve it and they know they don't deserve it. And they hear God wants to forgive you. God wants to put things in your life. It's very important that we reach out and touch those that might be hard to touch. Reach out to those that maybe you don't want to talk to, maybe. We all probably have family members that we have trouble talking to. You know, they need the gospel as much as anybody else and maybe even more. Because what if God got hold of them? That person that you don't like talking to might just become a good Christian friend because they get saved. Oh, the miracles when, you, when people get saved. I hope that you can think back in your own life and see how God changed you and how much he's changing you over time. Others can have that same gift. God wants to change people's lives. And he came just for that purpose. So that he can indwell us and change who we are, make us a new creation. Simply by recognizing that we are a sinner, that we need him, that we deserve punishment and that he died for us. In Revelation, and it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man come answer the door, and I will come in and sup with him. He wants to come in. It makes no sense that he wants to come into people's lives, but he does. He loves us that much. He loves us so much that he wants to come in and have fellowship with us. He loves us so much that he came to this world to die for us. And as this tells us in Romans, while we were yet sinners... He died for us. While we were yet enemies of his, he died for us. So that he could bring us into fellowship with him. His whole purpose is to bring us into fellowship. We were created to be in fellowship with God. There's an emptiness in our life when we're not in fellowship with God. If you've ever backslidden for a period of time, you know that emptiness even as a Christian. That God is not filling and if you can remember back far enough to when you got saved, you can really remember the emptiness that only God can fill. The world is going to try to fill it with all kinds of stuff. Work, activities, sin. They try to fill that emptiness that God can only fill. Some people will try to do it with religion. I'm going to be good. I'm going to be as good as I possibly humanly can which isn't good enough, but that's what they're trying to do, be as good as they humanly can, and somehow I'll please God. doesn't work. Because our righteousness is filthy rags in his sight. 
The only thing that works is putting on the righteousness of Christ. And I challenge us as we get out and we're starting to meet with family over these this week and today and the rest of the week. Share the gospel with your family members that don't know him. You go, well, I've done it. I've done it so many times and they don't like it. Well, try one more time. (laughs) Try one more time. You never know. Because who's the one that gives the increase is Jesus himself. God himself is the one that brings the increase. And, you know, what if somebody had given up on you? How many times did you hear the gospel before you finally responded to it? I don't know. I was searching for God for almost five years before going to church before I finally heard the gospel enough to respond. And I've shared with you, I love the testimonies of people that would tell you, you know, and on this night I heard the gospel for the first time. Especially when it's somebody you know. And it's like, well, let's see. Okay, you heard it the first time on that night and the, the two times I did it before that, you know, uh, over the 10 years and the time that you went to church and heard the gospel and, and that other time doesn't count. Well, and I understand what they're saying. Their brain heard the gospel at one point in time or their ears heard the gospel at one point in time and now all of a sudden the brain heard the gospel and it hit them like the ton of bricks it should hit them with and they realized they needed it. I understand what they're saying, but I just find it funny. I find it funny when somebody says, I finally heard the gospel, but I know that in the five years I was searching for the gospel, I've hardly heard the gospel before I responded. Even as a child, I'm sure I heard the gospel more than once and finally heard the gospel and it made sense. Don't ever give up on any of your family members, your friends. And I'm not saying every time you see them, you have to give them the gospel message. But how about once a month or once, once or twice a year? Don't give up on them. Because if they don't get saved, they face hell. And hell's not a place you want to see anybody that you, especially anybody that you like, go to. But if you really understood the awfulness of hell, you wouldn't even want to see somebody you disliked going to hell. Hell is too awful of a place for anybody to be, for you to wish anybody to go to. Eternal punishment is not something anybody should have to face. And they're going to choose it if they, if they reject Jesus. And the scripture is clear that everybody will have an opportunity. Our job is to share that opportunity. It doesn't have to be done obnoxious. It doesn't have to be done hard. But share it with people. You never know if you're going to be that time when they finally hear. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank for the opportunity we've had to come before you. Lord, if there's anybody that listens to this message on, online or anywhere else that doesn't know you, that we ask that they will confess their sin to you, admit that they're a sinner, admit that they need you, that they deserve hell, and that they will accept you as their Lord and Savior, and that they will start a new life that you will give them, a new creation in you. And that they will contact a pastor and church to be able to start that new life in a strong way. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.